Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Today, we welcome Jennifer Anderson to the podcast. Jennifer is here representing First Responder Coaching, a service and education organization that provides coach training and sessions to all branches of the first responder community. Coaching services are used as a proactive health and wellness resource to assist community members with all aspects of their lives. As we know, the high-stress environment experienced during each shift can create challenges within our relationships. Coaching benefits include financial wellness, work-life balance, and leadership and communication skills. Jennifer has her own story on how she got into coaching, and we do look forward to hearing all about it. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Would you please take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. I'm truly honored uh, to have met both Linda and now Jay, and uh, I'm excited to to continue on this journey of bringing support resources to our first responder community. So, so thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, Jen Anderson. Thank you. I am the founder and CEO of First Responder Coaching. I was a high school English teacher for many years and, and left the per, to pursue uh, bringing coaching to our first responder community. I've been married almost 20 years now, uh, which is crazy to say out loud, and uh, have a, gosh, almost 17-year-old and 13-year-old uh, daughters at home, and I'm just proud and honored to be able to do the work that I do every day. Wow. Thank you for sharing um, that with us. Um, we are very, very excited um, to have you on tonight, Jennifer. Um, I think what you do is important, and we want our listeners to be able to hear what you do to help first responders. Let's 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 talk about it, right? Um, <laughs> how how the heck did you get into this type of stuff? Like, what is your story? What share with us? Yeah, thank you. Oh my gosh, it was. Um, quite a challenge. Uh, 15 years, my husband was on the police force um, in North Central Massachusetts, uh, Lemonster, Mass. And uh, after about 10, 12 years in, I, I started noticing some serious changes in um, his behavior and his actions. Some of the things that he was he was doing, it was really hard for him to leave work at work, those kinds of things. And um, unfortunately, in December of 2017, he had a mental health break. Uh, that ultimately led to a six-week hospitalization. So um, my husband, Kevin, went to uh, initially, uh, first uh, he went to a partial program, which was civilian-based and um, had some pretty challenging situations there and then was uh, ultimately needed a full hospitalization uh, at McLean. He spent uh, a month at McLean, a couple weeks at the leader program and a couple weeks at the, in the trauma ward. Um, and then spent a few more weeks at onsite, which again, amazing treatment facility there. Mm, um, yeah. 
So all the time that he was, you know, struggling with his mental health, you know, I was looking for resources, asking admin, asking union, um, asking other spouses, like what to do, how to help, how to handle, um, how to keep our family together. And unfortunately, there just weren't any resources. So as much as I appreciated therapy and began therapy, again, it was a, a woman who was phenomenal, but as a civilian, you know, her jaw was on the floor the whole time I was, you know, sharing the experiences of our family, um, which is, again, I believe very strongly they're at the right place at the right time, surrounded by the right people. And yeah. I was introduced to coaching. So in early 2018, um, I went through a 12-week coaching program, um, identifying some areas of improvement and and, you know, satisfaction in my life and, and things that I needed to learn and adjust to in order to maintain that foundation of our family and, and be the wife, the mom, uh, the woman that I needed to be to help us move through. So yeah. fast forward a little bit, um, went through some amazing coaching. Her husband was home. He was doing well, you know, readjusting and uh, helped him through the medical retirement process. And then I became a certified life coach. Um, I went through a nine-month coach certification process, and uh, it was just an incredible experience and knew that this really was the modality that could help support the entire community. So started coaching um, and uh, was introduced to the Capitol Police Spouses in 2021, shortly after the January 6th event. Um, started coaching the Capitol Police Spouses, and sure enough, a number of them were interested in becoming coaches. So I pivoted pretty quickly from uh, blue line coaching into first responder coaching, and from there as a training opportunity. So wow. fast forward literally three years um, from my first real launch of Valentine's Day in 2021 to today, we have got over 65 certified coaches that have come through our training. Um, We've got uh, dozens of, of amazing coaches that are supporting our community um, as first responders and um, as coaches um, wow. moving forward. So gives you a little bit of a, of a background here, and I'm just excited to, to continue to bring coaching resources to our, our first responders. Wow, that's a lot. Like, so basically three years in 2021, you started like your coaching, you went to your training. Mm -hmm. I want to go back a little bit, though. Um, sure. like to get into that, right? Because I think that um, our listeners and what we're doing for the readiness workshop, if you don't mind, however comfortable you are, um, sure. I think that a lot of spouses will relate with you. Um, yeah. And I know, you, you know, you said you, you noticed those behaviors at home with your husband. Mm. Can we get in and talk a, a bit, a little bit about that? How comfortable you mm -hmm. are? Like, what were yeah. you noticing? What were you noticing at home with those behavioral changes? Yeah, thank like, you for asking that question. Um, because ultimately, it is obviously different from the general population, right? If we yeah. were to look up, you know, general population, you know, mental health concerns, it's ex drinking to excess. Well, our guys um, have issues with alcohol. And, and obviously, how do we define what excess is when it comes to our guys, right? Um, and so absolutely right navigating, you know, what those signs and symptoms look like in a first responder family is very different. For me, um, I noticed in particular, the, the one that was most glaring for me was that Kevin couldn't process any information beyond about the 24, 48 hour mark. He had no mm. ability bandwidth 
mm-hmm. executive functioning, whatever you'd like to to call it, to really understand what was happening beyond about a 24 hour period. So he knew his shift, he knew, um, you know, the work that he had to do. But if I were to say something like, Hey, do you want to get together this weekend with some friends? He, it would, it would be gone. It'd be gone. There was just no ability to hold on and retain that information. So that was a pretty big indicator for, for me. Um, You know, other things in terms of intimacy and I, I appreciate you, you know, offering some, um, in terms of the level of comfort, but I'm, I'm pretty open with that. Our, our levels of intimacy dramatically declined. Um, you know, we were that now, you know, the, the gross couple that were like kissing in the, you know, corners and, you know, when we were first together, like we were that couple that everyone was like, Oh my gosh, you guys are so gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. And then you're 12, 13 years into the, his job, his career, like he, you know, we really, struggled with with intimacy and um some of those pieces but ultimately you know those were two really important factors and some of the other pieces i've heard um just in in my work i'd like to share with you guys yeah the grocery store right so as a as a spouse i'd say hey go to the grocery store i need 10 items and i'd list out the 10 items i needed right well he'd come back with six of them and people, you know, again, like, well, what do you, ta-? like, I gave you 10 items. I needed these 10 items. Why? And I didn't know or understand at the time. But again, looking back on all these pieces, he'd get to the grocery store and he'd, you know, walk down the dairy aisle and he'd see whole milk, which was an open container that might have been on the counter at a house that he had to pull a child from. Right. Mm. He goes down another aisle and he sees bananas. Bananas ultimately became a serious trigger for Kevin. Um, Banana, he had an infant call and he'd forgotten his face shield. And so the potassium reminded of the formula reminded him of bananas. Yeah. He could. So all of a sudden, like not really understanding why he's only coming back from the grocery store with six items was because he just did. Again, he didn't have the capacity. He didn't have the, you know, he was experiencing triggers. Yes. That I was unaware of um and here i am like what you, you, you forgot the milk why you, you know why did you forget the milk you know like of all the things you could have forgotten you got milk yeah so as a spouse it's really important to communicate and have that open dialogue about some of the experiences that our first responders are having and and say hey what's what's going on like why why did you come back with six like what's up like are you okay like what happened yeah um so those are some signs. Disassociation was a sign. Um, he would disassociate, you know, randomly. Um, you just a lot of a lot of those were were blaring yeah. signs for me. Wow, thank you for sharing that. I mean, when you think about that, right? And and he's not saying anything. He's just wants to run away, like get away from that. Um, those triggers, right? That he was noticing in the grocery store. That must have been torture for him. But yeah, he yeah. still he still wasn't talking about it, right, to you. Yeah. Um and, and and I'm sure, you know, if you could paint a picture of him coming home without the groceries that you needed, right? And he's not saying anything, he's just went through torture and he cannot express himself to what just happened because you might not understand, right? Yeah. Um and then on the other hand, from your end, you'd be like, What the heck? Right? So I can see um, yes. I can see how that would also cause a lot of, um, you know, disruption in a marriage, right? It could cause problems, right? Tension. Yes. Uh, if, if it's continuing to go on like that all the time. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And I, I learned more about the 15 years that Kevin was on the job from the stack of paperwork from his hospitalization. I learned so much more from reading his medical documentation than I ever learned from him in 15 years. Yeah, because he didn't talk about it. Because they protect us. They want to protect us. So they mm. don't want us to vicariously see or experience or live or have ideas of what that might look like of the things that they've experienced. So I understood why he, you know, why our first responders don't typically share with yeah. their spouses about, mm. you know, the tough stuff. But, you know, all, like the banana situation, like I had known about bananas. We didn't have bananas in our house for almost a decade. Wow. You know, so I had known that one, um, but why he couldn't go to the grocery store and come back with all the items I needed, I didn't yeah. understand, yeah. you know. So really? it was, yeah, very, you know, where, you, like you said, you see someone, and we were grateful to live about half an hour away from his job, from mm. away from Lemonster. So he, we didn't have a reason to be there um, very often. So yeah. I think that kind of gave him a bit of a respite. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was... It was a rough few years there. Yeah. I I really do, with my heart, appreciate you sharing that, you know, what those symptoms, what those behaviors that you noticed like were like. Um, because I can tell you there's a lot of spouses um, that are experiencing the same thing that you went through, right, with him. And I, I, mm -hmm. I want to even chime in with that a little bit more with you. What were you feeling like when you were noticing all of that stuff, right? Uh, and you were like, well, you're not coming home with the grocery store or whatever. Um, and, you know, I'm sure, I don't know what his answers were, but I'm sure it was even more irritating for you, like, because you weren't getting the, you weren't getting why, right? You weren't getting the true story yes. why he left those things at the grocery store and he didn't come home with them, right? Um, which also adds to the detention, right? What were you yeah. feeling? What, what? How did that, what was the whole experience? I mean, how long, long did this go on for before um, he, he, you know, he had, you said he had a mental break. How long did this go on for and build up over time before he had that break? And I also want you to just chime in also. How were you dealing with all of this? What was going through yeah. your head? How were you dealing with it? Yeah. Um, thank you for, for asking these questions. Um, I'm going to go back in time just a little bit. Yeah. Um, in 2015, he'd been on the job for about, about 10 years. And I had started noticing little, little tiny things. I was like, that's little triggers or just his uh, lack of patience. The man had tried to turn to alcohol. Um, but I was like, ah, like that's not a, not in my house. Yeah. Um, so we had talked about other types of coping skills. Um, he said he wanted to go get his motorcycle license. I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, just looking at different ways, different ideas of, of how to help him de-stress and, and take the, take the vest off when he was, when he was home. Yeah. And um, one of those was through Onsite Academy's EMDR program. So he actually went and did EMDR at Onsite back in 2015. And it was funny because, forgive me, I, I, a little levity here, but it was funny because he comes out and he's like, I'm cured. Yay, I can go back to, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going back to the job. This is great. And he did one session of EMDR. It was like literally thinking he was cured. Yeah. And I was like, mm, not so fast, buddy. Like, not so fast, buddy. So 
However, I fully admit, I took advantage of the opportunity for him to to see more forward thinking because of his experiences with EMDR. I was like, hey, why don't we plan a trip to Disney in two years? He was like, sounds great. Like, great. <laughs> so he had the cognitive ability after a little bit of EMDR and treatment yeah. in 2015 to kind of work through some, I was like, awesome, Disney 2017, we're coming. So yeah. I planned Disney. And just we'll go back into your, so I planned Disney for August of 2017, right? It was a two week vacation. I was like, you know what? We're doing this. Two weeks away in Disney, we had an amazing time as a spouse, as a wife, as a mom. I was so proud of the man that he was while we were away. That two weeks showed us the human that he was outside of the vest. Uh. In ways that I still think back on as being such such a phenomenal time in our lives. Those yeah. two weeks were so precious. It was literally August of 17 we went, and by December, halfway through December was when he had his mental health break. So as a spouse going from seeing like height of his career, proud of him, hair on fire, mock 10 down, you know, Main Street, to then a crying, sobbing mess, uh, literally a ball of mush. Executive functioning skills were non-existent. His ability to adult were, was gone. Um, I didn't leave him alone with our children for months because I didn't feel like he was even safe to take care of himself, let alone safe to take care of our children. Yeah. So, Linda, it was a roller coaster, a freaking roller coaster, of wow. emotions from thinking, okay, we're good. We got this. We had the two weeks at Disney. He was everything I could have imagined. Yeah. To two and a half months later, the world just falling apart. The foundation just being destroyed beneath us. Mm. What happened in those two months? I think he put up a mirror. I think he was able to see who he was there. And recognized that that was the person he wanted to be, but couldn't because of because of the job. Because on the job, you're required to not be emotional. You're required to be superhuman. You're required to have this suck it up buttercup mentality. He was constantly on edge. He, you know, was just... Those two and a half months, he, we established um, a rating system. And this is actually, again, tips that people can take away from our conversation and moving forward. But he would have such panic attacks on the job mm. that I was in those two and a half months, I was teaching, like I said, former high school English teacher. Um, I told him, you know, from one to 10, what is your baseline? in terms of levels of anxiety and nervousness and all these pieces. Mm. And he said, baseline's a three or four. I said, okay, like we're here home, hanging out, watching TV. Okay. Three, four. Good. Um, when you hit a seven or an eight, I need you to call me. I need mm. you to step away safely from whatever call you're on, from whatever situation you're in, make sure you're, you're safe. And I need you to call me and I will talk you through it. I was grounding him. What's on your left? What's on your right? What's beneath your feet? 
Mm-hmm. I was having him do breath work, you know, my four by four by four. Like yep. I was literally having, and he would call me at school when I'm teaching. He would call me two, three times a day. Wow. Wow. So those were the, those were the things. And I just didn't know how else to help. I didn't, I didn't, I felt so helpless. I felt so, I mean, I think I did everything I could. Yeah. I feel very strongly. I did everything I could to help prevent it from happening. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have those tools. I didn't have coaching. I didn't have the ability to ask really difficult questions yeah. and listen in a way that I could support him in different ways. Did yeah. that? Yeah. You were doing the best that you, you knew how, right. As a, yeah. as a wife and, and his supporter, right. His, his support person. And that's what you were to him. And, um, mm-hmm. and that even alone helped him, right. Being able to talk him down from a panic attack, bring him back to the present. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So for that alone, wow. I mean, that's amazing that you were even able to do that for him. Um, Thank you. In that time. And so, he ended up right having he ended up having a break eventually right that Correct. led that led to that right that two months in between after coming back from Disney that led to the break right of him yes. saying okay I need help I you needed more support and resources to be able to help him because you could not fix it for him right um he couldn't take that away um Thank you. so he ended up being. Um, you know, having some treatment and being able to get the help that he needed, right? Yes. Um, yes. To be able Thanks to, to McLean, again, the leader program and on-site academy. Um, and the work continued. I mean, that was six yeah. weeks of inpatient, but on-site, uh, he would go back to on-site for EMDR work, you know, once a month. And then it was once every other month. And then it was once every few months. And so I can't speak more highly of the treatment that he, you know, experienced that the patients, the ability for mm. him to move through the trauma. Oftentimes we want to put band-aids on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and absolutely. that's yeah, not going to be what helps. Jennifer, I'm going to just ask you to just start to chime in there because a lot of folks do not know what Onsite Academy is or even McLean. Right. And um, so if you just briefly want to share, because at our family readiness workshop, they're going to be there. They're going to meet you. They're going to meet all of these resources. But I just want to, you're saying Onsite Academy. I want to, I want to start to just share real quickly, like what is Onsite Academy? Thank you for asking. So, yep, his original um, stay at Onsite Academy was in 2015. Mm. Um, they are a phenomenal nonprofit out of, I believe it's in Westminster, Massachusetts, which is right up the street from us um, and where we live. Um, and they offer treatments for, again, EMDR, CBT, um, again, EMDR, eye movement, um, desensitization yep. and reprocessing. Um, they offer a number of different modalities um, to the, Ultimately, you want to decrease your sympathetic and increase your parasympathetic system, right? And you want to release the cortisol that's in your body, the stress hormones that are in your body. Mm-hmm. And Onsite Academy does a phenomenal job with that. They mm. are able to kind of get people to understand where they are um, and how to move forward in really great ways using different modalities. Yeah. Um, and then again, McLean um, Hospital is out in Belmont, Massachusetts, um, a phenomenal psychiatric hospital. Um, Kevin actually had a, a little corner room because he was the only male on the trauma ward. Um, wow. But they were phenomenal in terms of regulating his medications, 
Um, that partial program that he was in before had put him on seven different medications. Um, and so when he got to uh, McLean, they were able to help regulate medicines. Um, and then through the leader program, again, offered some really incredible coping strategies and, and abilities to help him process, um, you know, again, where he is now and how he needed to move forward. So yeah. two amazing resources in Massachusetts to help our first responder and yeah. veteran community. Yes, absolutely. And we're very lucky to um, to have them both at the Family Readiness Workshop for, again, connecting families to the resources directly, right? Um, yes. I'm sure in your time in need. Did you know about these organizations when you were going through all of that stuff? No, no. I had no idea about McLean. I knew, obviously, on-site in 2015, but even before then, I had never heard of it. And yeah. as I mentioned, like going to admin or going to um, you know union, they're like, oh, yeah, John, here, call this number. He gave mm. me like an EAP number, which was like an 800 number. And I'm like, I don't. They, are they culturally competent? Are they going to understand what it is I'm going through? And uh, probably not. Like, well, uh, yeah. you know, like so yeah. those programs were clearly not effective or efficient in terms of of providing real support for the first responder community. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they're just I didn't know about them, and and I'm just so grateful that you know through our experiences we were able to find them and or they found us and yeah it, it all worked out that way yeah exactly and you think about those I'm, I'm saying this for the listeners also who are listening to you talking totally relating with what you're sharing um is that think about that now for a minute like you yourselves our listeners might be going something through something that jennifer yes. and her husband went through and you don't know where to go or who to pick who to call and and again, it's an EAP program that's, you know, at work and is it safe? Are they trustworthy? You know, is it going to get reported? Yes. Am I going to lose my job? All those things go through your head, right? And um, and then you just feel alone. Mm. Alone. Yes. Jay is saying, yes. mm, there, you relating with that, Jay? You want to hop in? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I am relating with that. And I'm also curious, uh, when, when you talk about... Uh, your husband calling you from, from work and, and you were able yeah. to ground him and talk him through it and specifically triggers in, in the supermarket and other places. Um, if you, if you know, was he aware of it? Right. Cause there's oftentimes there's a few different ways that first responders, uh, experience those, those triggering events. And sometimes we're very aware that, you know, the bananas causing me to have a reaction. And, and this is why in other times, there's so much going on, especially when we live in or around the communities that we also serve in. So you go to drive by a street, you may yes. feel a spike in anxiety and tension, a release of, of you know, those chemicals that can be disruptive and, and fog us up, uh, but not really have a present awareness of what caused it. So when he's calling you from the scene, which I imagine, I, I know it's common anyway, uh, the scene itself might not seem like a very bad scene, but there could be something in that environment yeah. that is stimulating, uh, you know, something in our subconscious that relates right, to a yes. previous call that was very traumatic. So I guess I'm curious because it really leads into what some of our listeners who are going through it in this moment and first yes. responders don't communicate right that's common uh with with our spouses for reasons that that make sense and and i think we understand um but what gets missed is oftentimes we don't know what the heck's going on with ourselves either <laughs> right so when you were talking to him was he aware of what was causing him 
to have a rise in his level to a seven or an eight and call you, or were those things that got discovered more during therapy? I think that is a great question. Um, and one, maybe we can explore with him another time on a podcast. Okay. Um, but ultimately, I think he was aware of some of them. You yeah. know, the 24 to 48 hour thing, I would be like, okay, so I'm going to tell you this now, but I know you're going to forget it. So I'm going to remind you like uh, 24 hours before the event happens and then like 10 hours before the event happens and then five hours. Like I <laughs> he knew like, okay, yep. All right. I remember you saying something about that before. Um, you know, again, his brain was just so filled with mm. the experiences that he was having and, um, and his own processy of understanding his body and safe and being, you know, within, um, so I think there was an understanding of some of those pieces, but Jay, yeah. I think you're right because I also don't necessarily, again, the disassociation. Yeah. Right. He yeah. Uh, he didn't know he was disassociated. I would walk by and I would put my hand on it. Like literally Thanksgiving dinner of 2016, he had a, a total disassociative. And I was like watching him. And I'm literally watching him at Thanksgiving dinner. No one else in the family had any clue that he was disassociating. And I'm just I okay. I, I gave him a minute. He wasn't coming out of it. I w just casually walked up, put my hand on his shoulder, and he just kind of. Uh, and you know recognized that i was there took a look over his shoulder and was able to continue eating mm -hmm. um those were things i talked to him about afterwards like hey where'd you go there yeah i saw you when i saw you went somewhere you know are you okay like and so we would talk about them and sometimes he'd be like yeah you know just something you know i just think he was just thinking about something or thinking about a call or whatever and we'd kind of leave it at the surface level so there was some awareness um and actually one other thought to to sign and symptom was he craved violent TV. Mm. He craved the adrenaline rush of watching violent TV, whether it was movies or shows or, and still that's actually something that's quite prevalent today, even years after. He does still have this craving, uh, his body, his brain, right? We talk about like what the brain does when you're in heightened sense of awareness for <laughs> years um mm. not getting into the fact that yes he only worked for 15 years but with the doubles and the overtime and the you know forced overtime and the details um he worked his 30 <laughs> in 15 mm. um so what that does to the chemicals in your brain um and how do you readjust that over time you know it's six years out and he still struggles very yeah. much so um and that I was just made me think of that the violent TV piece. Yeah, he. I was like, "What are you watching Rambo again?" Yeah, <laughs> we'll see you do. Uh, I gotta defend that. Rambo you can never again. watch Rambo too much. That's a great movie. He said that. He said he just that too. <laughs> um, well, there you go. Yeah, I love this. I love this whole conversation. Um, you know, not that, you know, what you have gone through, right? But I love the conversation, the content, because it's needed. We need to be speaking about this more, right? Wives, spouses need to be sharing a lot more about what they're going through. Um, and they don't also because they think that they're the only ones that are going through it because yep. no one else is sharing, right? And um, yeah, it's true. Yes. It's so true. And um and the so more true. yeah mm -hmm. and the more we talk I about it. Out to those spouses. 
Yeah, and they didn't want to put that mirror up, Linda. Like, I reached out to a number of them, like, years before when Kevin was first on the force, they had a spouse's, a wives, you know, wives club. And it became catty and just it it wasn't really the the support network that i know a spousal group could be yeah um but i reached out to a few of them when i started seeing things that were going on with kevin and they were like you know just turning a blind eye they were not willing to realize or recognize um that those are some of the things that they were seeing in their own husbands yes they weren't willing to admit it and that actually furthered to be honest there were 150 sworn officers that Kevin would have taken a bullet for and died for, you know, December 13th, but three days on the couch. And now six years later, he's only heard from two. Wow. Why is it that two of the over 150 officers that he would have died for have reached out to him? Mm. Because they didn't want to put the mirror up. They didn't want to see in themselves some of the things that they yeah. saw in Kevin. Yeah, yeah. And it's only a matter of time. All those other, you know, they can't go through this career, long career, um, hiding or pushing everything back. I'll deal with it later when, when the time is right. You know what I mean? When it's convenient for me to deal with it. That's not what happens, right? It happens just like what happened to your husband, right? Thank you. And um, yeah, it happens just like that. And those behavioral changes come out and yeah, they see for fear of seeing themselves and, and what was going on. You know what I mean? Yes. So your husband medically retired after the McLean and all of that stuff. That was 2018. So it actually took us, oh gosh, the medical retirement process was not kind to us. Um, There were a lot of hoops. We had to go back to 2015 to find his original medical documentation of his diagnosis of PTSD, um, which were literally in a filing cabinet in some warehouse somewhere that took months for us to get. Um, you know, once we accumulated all of the information and submitted it, it was still a very long process. And to be honest, it was a very challenging situation for a number of reasons, but, um, he was not being paid the injured on duty pay that he should have been. There was a lot of pieces that we had to fight for each step of the way that made for a really challenging process. Yes, in November of 2019, the retirement board of five members voted four to one for his medical retirement. But that one person had said, well, if you had cancer or if you had, you know, hurt your trigger finger, maybe, you know, heart attack, maybe I could, you know, justify voting yes. But you signed up for this. So Mm -hmm. I I can't vote for yes on this. So even at the end, and I, I kind of said to my husband, I was like, we don't need his vote. We got four. Like, mm. we didn't need it. Yeah. So you know what? You're medically retired. He's been, you know, again, and talk about the after effect. You know, what are you going to do at 38 and, you know, we were 38 and 36 years old talking about medical retirement for him. Yeah. And what that was going to look like and how are we going to choose option A, B, or C? Yeah. <laughs> For the rest of our lives. Yes. Um, things you don't prepare for. So yeah. having some conversation around, you know, the prevention of it, but also being prepared just in case. Like yeah. 
what are and so he i'm grateful um i'm sure it will come up at some point in our conversation i'm grateful yes. he fell back on his landscaping experience um he's been landscaping for little old ladies doing their lawns and single moms <laughs> in our town and he is loving it good he is really really enjoying the outdoors and you know being on his own and, and doing the things that bring him pride and joy um, and it has been phenomenal to watch him. Um, I'm so happy grow into this into this happy person. I'm so happy to hear that, like this outcome now for him, right? He's found peace, right? And being able to experience. You know, Jay has talked about this many times um, in in our interviews about being able to experience some joy again, right, in your life. And it sounds like that that's what he's doing now. He's able to experience joy where he wasn't. Yes. That's what it sounds like to me anyway from you. You know, yeah, yeah. Yes, no, absolutely. And he has found such joy in our daughters. Like that's, I guess, one of the things that I'd like to make sure that I stress about this is our girls, you know, our children in general represent the here and the now in the moment, right? So even though he was having challenges with his mental health, even though we were having challenges in our marriage and within our relationship, he was a, is, I shouldn't say was, is still a phenomenal father. Yeah. He is an amazing father to our children. And that's one source of, I think, such pride that he has in his ability to still parent so well um, and I'm so proud of him and his progress in the last six years. Um, we did receive a, um, a service dog, an emotional, uh, shouldn't say, excuse me, not emotional, a psychiatric service dog, mm-hmm. um, about a year and a half ago. And that was an incredible experience bringing Bentley into our home that would provide some resources for Kevin, um, again, navigating, the world and, and yeah. the challenges that he was still, you know, presenting. But um, absolutely, I'm so proud of us as a family um, and him as um, a human putting himself back together mm. over some really horrific challenges. Yeah, and he, he he was able to overcome that with your support, also, my friend. So um, I thank you for supporting him and not giving up on him either. You know, um, that led you into what you're doing now. Take, take, you. <laughs> take us there, take us there where, you know, you know, you said that at the beginning, right. And I asked you to go back and share all of that, right. Um, with us. So that led you into where you're doing now. Take us in yeah. now what you're doing and how you're able to help others and, um, you know, where you, you think you're going to go in the next number of years with awesome. versus responder coaching. Yeah, no, it's been an incredible ride already for in terms of these three years of um, really truly understanding what coaching is and how we can use coaching as a toolbox. Like we can go to trainings and I think I'm so excited for March 9th because we're going to be having conversations about all these different pieces and all these different tools and resources but how are we going to organize them in a way that makes sense for us as an individual? Mm. That's where coaching comes in. Um, you know, you can Google and research, or we obviously already know many things that we've been exposed to, whether it's meditation or yoga or whatever, you know, other modality, coloring, right? Adult coloring books are so fun. Um, there are so many things that we know that bring us those little pieces of peace. 
those little moments of joy. And what coaching is, is the ability to pull those out from someone inside, right inside of someone and saying, what's going to work for you as an individual and is the practical application. So for example, um, real quickly, right? You go to see a therapist because they have experience, they have the knowledge base, they understand, you know, certain challenges with disorders, depression and, and other things. So yeah. you, you go to a therapist and they say, here are five different ways to help improve your sleep habits. We all know sleep is an issue in our first responder community, right? Yeah. So you're like, okay, you walk out of the you know office, or I got five ways to improve my sleep. Well, what you do is then take that back to your coach. And your coach is going to say, okay, what one can we do in the next 24 hours? What's one thing that you've learned that you have within yourself or, or the knowledge that you've been given that you can apply? What are some of the barriers that might prevent you from reaching yeah. this yeah. goal in 24 hours? Yeah. What is the outcome? So again, talking sleep habits, right? Well, maybe it's putting your phone down half an hour before you actually go into bed, right? Yeah. So if that's your goal, great. How are you going to do it? What's going to prevent you from doing it? What if you don't do it? What are the outcomes if you don't do it? What are, you know, and really having that deep dive conversation and then, you know, 48, 72 hours later, that follow-up conversation with the coach, hey, how'd that go? Did that work? Did it not? Why? Want to try a different one? If it worked, great. Let's add a second one. Let's look at what that might look like for you. Mm -hmm. And start building upon the skills and strategies and tools and resources that we already have to create higher levels of satisfaction in all areas of our lives. Yeah. Every, Does every that area. Help explain. Yes, absolutely. So where, where do you, where do you, I mean, it's not only you, right? You're the founder of the company. You. You, you probably started out, right, with you, right, being mm -hmm. trained as a coach. And then you said, mm, I need to be able to do this a little bit more, right? I can only see so many first responders yeah. in a day. Um, so tell us where you, you're after taking that. Yes. So after my connection to the Capitol Police spouses, um, I had trained a couple of them and was just honored and blown away by their enthusiasm about bringing coaching to their community. Um, a fire uh, captain had been killed in the line of duty here in Frederick, Maryland. And uh, the fire chief had reached out to Megan, who had been doing some, some again, regional coaching and said, I know you support the blue. Can you support the red? A hundred percent, right? Megan, call me, can we do? Yes. And that was really the catalyst for recognizing that we needed to bring coaching to the entire community of first responders. So um, you're absolutely right. We've built out an amazing organization of, you know, an executive board. We've got directors now that are, you know, in charge of training, in charge of our coaches um, and I've been very, very blessed and honored to um, have eight employees now with FRC and, you know, getting the word out and traveling and, you know, presenting at conferences and just sharing what coaching can do in a really great way is so fulfilling for us. So yeah. um, I do have my my sidekick, my chief admin officer is uh, my mother, Audrey, and she has been a phenomenal driving force for FRC. I would not be here. FRC would not be here um, without Audrey by my side. Um, so super honored to have all of the pieces and 
and you know, I, I mentioned, I think before that I, I know that I'm in the right place at the right time, surrounded by the right people yeah. to continue to spread this message and um, just honored to be doing this work. So where are all your coaches based? How many, many coaches? I know you said it before. How many coaches have you got certified with you? We've got over 65 certified coaches and I believe we're up to 17 stakes. Um, so 17 and Canada, we're in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. Um, international. Woo. Um, but yeah, we are building our coaching, um, your coach certification courses. Um, uh, we offer, um, peer support, uh, coach approach to peer support training as well. So members of peer support organizations that want to use a coach approach over 65 trained, and uh, yeah, we have actually department organization packages as well. Um, we are contracted with, I think now over, oh, close to a dozen different departments um, from Las Vegas Fire and Rescue to Picatinny Arsenal, New Jersey. So um, what do you do? What do you mean contracted with them? Sorry, what do you mean by contracted with them to do to do what in the department? Coach someone so, within the department? Yep. So oftentimes with members of the department, they would like to talk to someone in-house. So we offer training for within departments if they would like to have someone that is aware of coach approach and and using coaching resources so we can train. But also there are lots of people who don't want to talk to anyone internal. So we offer uh, coaching sessions to be purchased by departments in order to provide external resources as well for coaching sessions. Oh, awesome. And would they be provided like in person or would they be online like a Zoom type of thing or both? Yeah, both, honestly. So, um, for example, a couple of our New Jersey contracts, we put boots on grounds every six months or so um, in person. Hey, guys, how's it going? I got a sign up session in a sign up on the door. Come on in. Um, And we do sessions, you know, face to face. Um, or we also can book online. Uh, again, my coaches are across the country and yeah. they are all first responders. Like they are all within the first responder community because I wanted that level of cultural competency for our coaches. So, um, we do again, video conferences for those coaching sessions. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, a number of different ways. Um, not only can we go in and do, you know, a couple hour presentation, a one day presentation about what coach approach looks like so we can get people to understand a little bit more about the differences between coaching and mentoring or coaching and, and therapy. Um, but then also, um, yes, departments can, you said, purchase those sessions. Um, and, you know, as the sessions are being used, uh, we do provide, again, confidentially, um, the, the sessions that come into us, we assign them numbers. We follow HIPAA guidelines. Um, so if a department or organization purchases a, a, a unit of sessions for us from us, we only report back to the department how many sessions have been used, not who is using them. Oh, I love, I love that you're saying that. About. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. It is not our place. Obviously, being first responders, we are mandated reporters. Now, we all know that if someone comes into a session threatening to harm themselves or harm others, um, or someone is harming them, right, we, we will obviously take steps as necessary. But coaching, the, the ideal belief of coaching is that you are whole and healthy and ready to make changes in your life. And so if we identify that someone is, is beyond what we can support through coaching, 
we have an amazing network of resources. Um, the perfect example, I had a coach who was in Ohio coaching a Denver police officer. Okay. Mm. Denver, Colorado. Um, there was a bit of a red flag. So my coach from Ohio contacted me and said, Hey, I've got a bit of red flag with my Denver police officer. I said, okay, give me a couple minutes. He's like, all right, keep him talking. I got on the on a call with a resource out on the West coast. And who do we know in Denver that has done some vetting of some West coast resources? He says, okay, I've got revival. I'm like, awesome. Revival is again, first responder specific organization out of Colorado and Denver. And so he said, all right, get me the information. I relay the information and revival was knocking on this Denver police officer's door within half an hour of us finding out um, that there was a red flag. Wow. So we were able to deploy those resources within half. An hour. I was, I, that's to me, that was like the epitome. Like, wow. how, like we just did that. We, we just did that. Like, and I wasn't going to call Denver police department to be like, Hey, you got some, right? you like, do a well check, yeah. we don't want to do that. Right. Yeah, so yeah. what do we have for other resources that we can provide for this person? So that was just an incredible, um, experience for us. So, um, and we were able to get, get that guy some help that was needed way, you know, beyond what we could offer with coaching. Yeah. So, and he got to, got the support that he needed. Mm -hmm. So good outcome from that one. Excellent. I Thank love you. I love that. See, this is the way it, it all works out, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, turning your, you know, experience um, and your husband's experience into something so positive mm. um, to be able to help to help others. Right. Um, that's you. that's why we all do what we do. Right. Um, is is from our own experiences. That's why we're all here. Right. Yes. Um, I love this and I can't wait to be hearing more about it and for you to be able to share all your information with all the first responders and families who are going to be coming to the family readiness work night workshop on what date is it? March 9th. March, March 9th. Yeah, March 9th. Um, and we're sending out so much information um, here lo locally um, for that. So we can't wait to actually meet you in person um, yes. that night. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to big time. But Jennifer, I think this is a, a great conversation that continue to it needs to continue to happen um, and to be talked about and shared. Um, yes. it's, it's needed. I mean, we talk about it all the time and I think that, you know, we've had spouses on before for responders, um, but unfortunately they lost their first responders, you know, yes. and you're, you're, you know, so lucky and blessed to, to have yours um, and, um, for sure. And, uh, and you can share that story and turn it into helping others. So I thank you so much for uh, following your gut and, and getting into something that is very much needed. Um, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you, Linda. And again, I appreciate your experiences. And um, I'm actually honored that we finally found each other. I mean, <laughs> we've been doing things an hour and a half apart from each other, you know, parallelly. Yeah. Parallelly, is that a word? Yeah. Uh, for the last couple of years here. And now we've officially connected and crossed paths. And now the sky's the limit in terms of bringing these resources. So honored yeah. to be a part of it with yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about like uh, the family and I, myself and Jay have been working so, so hard um to to put all this together and and yeah everybody it just has fallen all into place so 
um, yeah, we're we're ready to go. We're ready to sort of keep on keep on going. And when yeah. if it just keeps on falling into place like this, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. But we help one first responder, right? And um, be able to get the help that he needs, and be able to point him in direction of resources, um, for help. And we're able to help a family um, be able to start healing on a healing journey. Well, it's all worth it, right? That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Jay. And I look forward to giving you big hugs on March 9th. Yeah, March 9th. We'll see you then. See you then. Thanks so much, guys. Jennifer shared with us what led her to start first responder coaching. She took us on the journey of her own family's experience with mental health struggles when her husband, Kevin, started to develop behaviors that she didn't understand. She didn't understand why they were happening either, because he wasn't sharing it. It wasn't until Jen's husband had a six-week impatient stay that she learned all the details of what he was experiencing. No, Jennifer is not the only spouse who's gone through this with her first responder. In fact, there are many more. You're one of them. You're a first responder who's struggling now, or you're concerned about a loved one. You can call one of the Hope Lines, and we'll guide you to resources that can help. Those numbers are 781-817-3357 or 617-657-9108. Till next time. Till next time.